It is on? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Y'all have learned. Okay. Um, do want to welcome everybody this morning. It's good to see everyone. Second, uh, second Sunday in Advent. Uh, our scripture reading today comes from Isaiah 9. And we will read that the first seven verses. Uh, Kirk gave me the whole chapter here, but uh, we're just going to go the first seven verses. But I want you to remember, as you are looking at these verses, you need to go back for the, for, for the previous several chapters to be able to look and see why everything is being said the way it is at this particular time, in this particular chapter. But more specifically... And we're going to talk about this in just a few minutes. If you look at verses 18 and 19 uh, and, and beyond, all the way up to the end of the chapter, it kind of lets cha- verse 1 of chapter 9 make a little bit more sense. But anyway, with that being said, uh, before we get started, let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. We thank you for this time of year where we look with great hope and anticipation to see our Emmanuel's birth as uh, we celebrate it once more. But as Christians today, Lord, not only do we look at that as a special event, but we also look to your second coming as an even more special event to us. We know that you came the first time. We believe that you are coming again and that you will come in your own time. But until then, Lord, we look to you expectantly as uh, each of us attempt to live more and more like you every day. Would you guide us and bless us now through this, uh, through this your word. Uh, strengthen us with a greater understanding of exactly what Isaiah was talking about this morning. Bless us, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we read Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. May God be praised for the word that he has given us this day. And may he add his wisdom to our hearts and our minds that this word will grow in us as fertile as in fertile soil. Amen. 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 Thank you. You may be seated. 
Okay, this is going to be a class participation experiment right now. I want you all to close your eyes for a minute. Just settle back. Close your eyes. I'm not going to try to hypnotize you or anything like that. Just relax and close out the world. Embrace the darkness for just a minute. We talk quite often about Christians being light in a dark world. Jesus tells us that we should not hide His light that is in us under a bushel basket. John 1 talks about the light coming into the world. In our reading for this morning, we read that the people of Israel were living in darkness. Darkness. It takes away our sense of presence, doesn't it? It takes away one of the key senses that we've been given by God. And yet we are aware of where we are. We're in church this morning, aren't we? At least in the building. Can you tell me who's sitting on either side of you at this moment? Who's on the road with you right now? Being in darkness oftentimes causes us to lose our focus. We begin to focus on where we are, not so much on who we are with. We begin to imagine things that perhaps are or are not in the room with us. And the longer we're in the dark, the greater our imagination takes over. That's oftentimes why people are scared of the dark. Things get a little uncomfortable when we're in the dark, don't they? Okay, you can open your eyes. Notice now, after having your eyes closed for a short period of time, we open our eyes again and the light is just a little bit uncomfortable to us. A little, a little too bright maybe for some of us. I got new glasses the other day and the light's just killing me here. We have to get our bearings all over again as we look around to see if what we saw just a few minutes ago is still the same as it is right now. Anything change? Well, chances are no, nothing really changed. But still, we have that little semblance of doubt, don't we? The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Maybe one of the greatest understatements ever written. As these words were written in the book of Isaiah, we know a little bit about the Israelites' past, do we not? We know that they were God's chosen people. They had been chosen by God many years before. We know the background of the Jews, God's favored people, to be one of great confusion at times, right? Their faith in God was so very strong at times. But then again, you turn right back around. And there they were, drifting away from God time and time again. People needed to be reminded countless times that the direction they were going in wasn't right. Their leadership at times lacked strength. And then the people of of Israel were actually divided into two kingdoms at this particular time. In this particular instance, look simply back to the last chapter of Isaiah. As we said at the beginning, chapter 8 verses 19 through 22 specifically. 
Here's the darkness that the people were currently living in. They were following the advice of other people. Mediums and spiritists, we're told. They consulted the dead for advice. They were looking for spiritual sustenance in all the wrong places, as we're told in verse 21, to the point that they will roam aimlessly. They will become enraged against God because they believe God's not listening to them. Are you hearing what's going on? They're listening to the dead. They're not listening to a living God, and they're mad at this living God because He's not answering them. Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that like people are? I mean, we're just nuts that way, I guess. They'll curse their king and their God. Their leadership will will not be doing as they should, which should be leading the people with strength and with God on their side. And ultimately, they'll curse their God. Get this, for not keeping them going in the right direction when people were bound and determined to do other things. Oh, again, does that not sound like today? Verse 22, they will look at the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Utter darkness. That is darkness without God. In essence, what's another word of a life without God? Hell. At this juncture, God was about to bring Assyria down from the north and wash over these people like a tidal wave. Isaiah tried to warn the people in chapter 8. Fear God, he said. The Lord God Almighty is the one you should regard as holy, he said. He will be your sanctuary, he said. But for the people of Jerusalem, it says in 8.14, you'll be a trap and a snare. Many will stumble and fall and be broken. Was it ever going to be a time of darkness for the people of Israel? I especially like the way the English Standard Version says this about the utter darkness. The darkness will be thick. Now that's, that's pretty dark, isn't it? And then look at the promise. Nevertheless, it is written in, in 9.1. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Can you see that light at the end of the tunnel? Yet Israel, you've walked in darkness. Yet Israel, you have lived in the land of the shadow of death. But Israel, there's going to be hope. Verse 6, we get evidence of that promise. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But we're going to add one more on to that. If you'll look at Isaiah 7, I believe it's verse 14, we know that he is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. I think back in the late 1950s when a single woman had a vision for the country she thought she knew. She single-handedly had prayer removed from our schools. Had, Had to do it two different times before it finally stuck. But she did it. The schools have never been the same. I've said this before. 
But the police were invited. When the police were invited into the front door of our schools, God was being escorted out the back door. I see the discipline or lack thereof in our schools today because there is no or little discipline in the homes today. There's no discipline oftentimes because a single parent is working two or three jobs to simply keep the lights on in the house, much less keep food on the table. I think back to some of the events of the past years. I think back to to 9-11. I remember the fear we all lived in. The skies were rendered useless in terms of travel. People living in fear for their families, for their country. And even for their very lives. Men from other countries of religious uh, values far different than ours attack and kill thousands of our citizens on one hideous day in this country's history. We, for the first time in the United States, had been attacked on land that we knew from before, for 200 years plus, that it was impenetrable. And we were found out, we found out very quickly, it was not. We've become a nation of individualists, folks. We didn't need to take care of each other. We just needed to take care of our own, and that was it. We didn't need anybody else to help us get by or succeed. We didn't need anyone else. We just needed our wits about us, and we could take care of ourselves. Answers to our questions, well, we just simply needed to look within ourselves for whatever we needed. Want to get in touch with your past? Simply find a medium or a fortune teller or something like that. Those who can talk to the dead. I understand, and I don't watch regular TV very much, but I understand there used to be a TV show on about a gal that was, uh, could talk to the dead and get advice from them about, for, their, for their loved ones who were still here. If you go two blocks from my house over off of Selenese Road, you will find there's a fortune teller there, a medium. And she has been there for as long as I can remember. I rode seven lanes. It was two lanes at one time. She was there then. And my wife told me she thought that was a third generation fortune teller. Now think about that, okay? Why look to God when we can look to ourselves, right? We can get all the answers that we need from within ourselves or from someone like that person. It's kind of like the Israelites. They had the same thing going on with them. It's the same thing that occurred with them on more than one occasion throughout their history. They relied on themselves. They didn't rely on God. Look what's transpired in our world today. Look at the terrorism that's going on in in magnitude or even in small areas such as Michigan and other places that have taken place just recently. Look at the terrorism that has occurred, uh, the death of, of people. Senseless. But you look at terrorism through Afghanistan. You look at terrorism in other areas of the world. There have been people, even maybe within our own families, who were trapped in a country far, far away from here, who could not escape from all of the terrorism that was taking place in other countries. We live in a times of self-proclaimed darkness. 
because of the evil that seems to run rampant among us. For to us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and Emmanuel, God with us. We see a number of names given to our Lord well in advance of when he was born, don't we? But we see the name counselor here. And what do we think of when we think of a counselor? Well, for a lot of us, I guess maybe today, we think of Dr. Phil, don't we? And maybe we think of others who have talk shows and that are designed to help us with our day-to-day problems. Or maybe even they help counsel us as to who we ought to vote for in the next election. People who have an influence upon us are counselors in a number of different ways. There are people that we need to and, and listen to and, and heed their advice. There, there's people that we need to be able to trust because they shoot straight with us, don't they? The problem Israel had, and we so often have today, is that we tend to listen too much to these voices here on earth that wield too much power over us. Many times we listened to the wrong people. They too often give us bad advice. What were those words again? Wonderful counselor. God with us. Yet there are many people today who do give us good advice. They, they, they do their very best to help us with the advice that they give us. You look at our Proverbs study and how we've been going on about that. The counsel, the discernment, the wisdom that we seek. From people older than we are or more experienced than we are. There there are people like that in our lives today. Look to the leaders of the church. Look to your spouse. Close friends or, or family members that you can go to. A wise husband looks to his wife for good counsel. If he's smart, that is. He wants to be married another day. Right? Wise children look to their parents. There are good counselors around today who can help us through difficult times. But there's one term that I personally listen for when someone tells me about someone new that's come into the area that is supposedly a counselor. They're Christian-based. That says it all from me. And yet, listen to this, even these folks, all of these folks are mortal and have what we call clay feet. They don't have all the answers to all the questions. Try as hard as they might. I read a story not long ago about a, a man that he had become, he'd become. been a rehabilitation counselor most of his life and he took early retirement to become a preacher. I think that's, isn't that the normal thing? You know, somebody retires and they become a preacher, I guess, right? At least that's what it feels like anyway. One day he was addressing a congregation and he told a story about a young man that came into his life years before. And this young man had had several birth defects, was not able to walk on his own, had really had no way of being able to, to move himself from one place to another. So the rehabilitation counselor was tasked with helping to find assistance for this young man of all kinds, be it doctors, be it financial, whatever the case might be. 
Skilled surgeons repaired this young man's body from head to toe. Trained therapists taught the young man how to speak. He learned to walk. By the time the young man was in his mid-teens, he had learned to mix in with other people his age. The retired rehab counselor turned preacher stopped and asked the congregation, what do you think became of this young man? Well, speculation went from becoming a surgeon to becoming maybe even another rehab counselor, whatever. No, sadly, the gentleman said it was none of these. The young man is now in prison serving a life sentence for murder. You see, we were able to repair and restore his looks and all. Even got him to the point where he could walk for the very first time. We failed to teach him where to walk and how to act. I helped the, the man or the young man physically, but I failed him spiritually. I failed to show him God with us. I failed to show him our Emmanuel. And it's because of that, boy, I vowed to God that I'd use the rest of my life helping others to direct their steps and actions towards glorifying God rather than so much about pleasing other people. If we look around us every day, we see sin going on, don't we? We see others spending too much time being self-absorbed being self-pleasers rather than attempting to please the one who gave us life. And yet Romans 3.23 tells us specifically we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That is every single last one of us. Matthew one twenty one, an angel tells Joseph who was to be Jesus' dad here on earth, that she, meaning Mary, his betrothed, would give birth to a son. And they were to give him the name Jesus because he would save the people from their sins. And as we said several times before, he would also be called Emmanuel, God with us. The only way we can be rid of darkness, of our sinful plight here on earth, is to realize that only the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, God with us, can help us to remove sin's power and guilt over our lives. Paul said that we're to preach Christ and Him crucified because He is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. He is the light given to us by God to shine into a world of darkness. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the wonderful light, knows our every weakness. He's been there. He's faced what we face. He's conquered every last bit of it. All for you and for me. Therefore, it is His counsel, His advice that we should always be listening to. But it's His light that we are to share with the world. You see, we live in a world that continues to seek its own will through its own means. But we have a light at the end of the tunnel. His name is Jesus. He was born to us. That's you and me. 
And while the world will see Jesus as a stumbling block, as foolishness to those whom God has called, that's you and me, he is the one thing that Isaiah, I think, missed out on one description for the name of Jesus. He is our everything. The people lived in darkness have seen a great light. In this season of Advent, in this time of year, we focus on that light, don't we? We focus on the promise of that great light. While the world is in panic because of the evil that surrounds us, we can take great peace in knowing that the light will shine in, on, and through us. That God is indeed with us. This year we are going, are we, are we going to share the warmth of that light with the world and make a difference for Him? Or are you going to hide that light, keeping it to yourself? In this special season where we celebrate the birth of our Lord, that light that has been given to you and to me, What would you do with the promise of God's wonderful light? How would you show others in your life that God is truly with us? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We praise you once again for that wonderful light, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, God with us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Not only do we celebrate this day as another day that He is with us, but we thank You especially that we have the opportunity to go out and share the light that is in us with the world. Would You help us to do that today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.